the incident at Dungaree Farm. Is there a more quintessentially suburban way to die than falling off a second-story roof? I submit to you that there is not. It's the bare minimum it would take to kill a person, but if you do it right, or wrong, it can be enough. It was enough for my dad. When I'm having a bad day, sometimes I wonder if he thought about me standing down there as he was falling. Maybe. Probably not, I guess. It's not the sort of fall you expect to die from. It was a week before Halloween, and he was up there cleaning the gutters and hanging the Christmas lights because the weatherman had said it was going to be the last warm weekend of the year. I guess his foot must have slipped or something. Such a small, insignificant thing to be the last thing you ever do in this life. Then I think his foot must have caught on the gutter and made him fall funny. I must have stood there for like five minutes. I'm sure it wasn't that long. I was nine. You know how things tend to feel longer in retrospect. But I remember looking up and down the block to see if anyone else was outside, if anyone else had seen what had happened. It was so quiet. All I could hear were the crickets and the traffic in the distance. And then there was my dad, lying there, face down, not moving, not making a sound. I'd never seen him trip or fall or anything like that. I'd never seen him fallible or... human. And there he was, just lying there. I must have been in shock. It was like I was seeing him for the first time. Then finally my mom came out the front door. When she saw him, she started screaming. A few minutes later, the police were there and an ambulance. It all sort of becomes a blur after that, to be honest. By the end of the night, everyone is gone, and me and my mom are back home, and my dad isn't there, and I remember just this feeling of... What now? His funeral was the following Wednesday. Friday was the harvest festival at Dungaree Farm. We went every year, but I assumed we would skip it that year until my mom woke up Friday morning and said that we needed something to take our mind off things. But when we got there, I think we both remembered that the Harvest Festival had always sort of been Dad's thing. We drank apple cider and ate funnel cake. I went back a few weeks ago. They've been selling off land to developers for years now. They had to dump a big chunk of it to cover the lawsuits, but it just kept going after that. I remember when I was growing up, the pumpkin fields went on for a mile or more, but now it feels so small. There are houses all around. They say the corn maze has been getting smaller every couple of years. I don't even think they grow most of their own pumpkins there anymore, ship them in on trucks and lay them out in the grass. I don't know. It's just kind of sad. Back then, when I was nine, the place felt endless. It wasn't unheard of for someone to get lost in the corn maze for an hour. I wanted to race my mom through it. At that age, I wanted everything to be a race and wanted to do it on my own. Where was the fun if she was helping me? And I remember feeling pretty confident, but then I ran into some kids from school, and I don't know why, but for one reason or another, I didn't want anything to do with them, so I turned around before they saw me and just went the other way. I don't know why. It's not like they were ever mean to me or anything. I just remember not wanting to talk to them. 
or anyone besides my mom, really. And then I made a wrong turn and got turned around. You know how places can look unrecognizable coming if you've only ever seen them going? And started to get a little freaked out. It just felt like I was too far out somehow. It was too quiet before I could feel people around me, even when I couldn't see any of them. But now I felt very, very alone. The sounds of the rides of the animals in the petting zoo, people talking and laughing, they all sounded very far away. And I looked around and realized that the maze itself had deteriorated. Maybe the corn just got shorter and shabbier toward the edges, but at some point I turned down a section that was a little narrower, a little less groomed, a little less official looking. And I started to realize that maybe at some point I had accidentally stepped outside of the maze. But that didn't make much sense either, because the pathways kept going, they just gradually diminished. And then finally ended in a wall of corn, or faded into a bunch of stumps and broken stalks. And I was... very scared then. The moon was big and bright enough to see by, and I could see someone standing out in a cleared part of the field, past the maze. I could only see his silhouette, and he was just kind of standing there, alone, looking up at the night sky. I tried making my way back to the main part of the maze, but I kept getting turned around, and I was getting frustrated because I didn't know what I was doing wrong. I remember thinking that if I had to, I could just start screaming, and eventually someone would come find me. This is a busy festival, and I hadn't seen another person in almost 20 minutes. I finally found some familiar-looking ground and managed to keep to it as the maze started to regrow around me. I got to a series of intersections that I recognized and knew that I was on the right path, though I had to test each option first before I could be confident which way to go from there. And there was this short section I had to travel back and forth, over and over, this dark corridor, and each time I had to cross it I would get really hesitant, like a sick feeling in my stomach. I didn't know why, but eventually I narrowed it down in one direction that had to be the right one, or at least I was really hoping it was because none of the others had looked even vaguely familiar. So I passed through this corridor one more time, and as I'm walking I catch a glimpse of something out of the corner of my eye, not even enough to guess at what it was, just something different. I don't know how to describe it, it was like my neck was turning before my brain could even decide if it was something worth looking at or not. And there's this guy. Couldn't have been more than three or four feet from me, staring at me. Crouched behind the first row of corn, with his hands wrapped around two of the stalks like they were the bars of a prison cell. I'll never forget the face he was making. His hair was kind of long and stringy and greasy, and his lips were stretched so wide it makes my lips hurt just thinking about it, but not in a smile or a frown, just straight to the sides, and his eyes were at my height, and they definitely weren't smiling. They were wide and bloodshot and pleading. Oh, I'm real scared, he said. Real, real scared. His voice was deeper than I would have guessed by his frame, and he had dirt in his fingernails, all up and down his forearms, down the front of his pants. Aren't you gonna hide? They'll come for you, too. I knew 
something was wrong. But everything I'd been taught told me to help this man. Except for stranger danger. But he wasn't a stranger. He was a guy who needed help. And he was scaring me with whatever he was talking about. My heart jumped and my body wanted to go hide before my mind could decide what I was even hiding from. And for a moment, I remember, I considered that hiding could mean slipping back into the cornrows with this man. I looked behind him, and the darkness I saw there made me feel so sick that if I had tried to do it, I think I might have passed out. So I did not. I didn't say anything. I just ran down back in the direction of the entrance, and before long I was running past other people. My mom was already waiting for me out front, and when she asked what happened, all I told her was that I'd gotten lost. We waited in line for the haunted hayride that would take us to the pumpkin patch. As we were about to board, my mom's phone rang. It was something about my dad. Mr. Harris, the old farmer driving the tractor, hopped down and started hollering about it being the last ride of the night. My mom gave me her ticket so I could pick a pumpkin for her, and then she put me on the trailer and went off to talk to whoever she had to talk to. On her way, she waved to Mr. Harris, and he waved back. A high school couple sat on the hay bale next to me. The girl was wearing the guy's letterman jacket, and when they talked to each other, they talked so quietly that I could not even understand what they were saying, only the occasional giggles. A trio of middle school boys boarded after me, maybe 13 years old. Mr. Harris chained the gate shut behind them and climbed back into the driver's seat and restarted the engine. The tractor moved a second before we were jerked along behind, and the ride stayed bumpy from there. The place where the tractor had been driving all season looked like it had been shelled. We dropped into one ditch that nearly ejected me from the trailer. Then there was light ahead, and Mr. Harris stopped us and idled the engine next to the first scene for a minute. It was a nativity diorama featuring a scarecrow Frankenstein as Joseph. Mary was only a skeleton and a wig. I couldn't see what was in the manger. There were other skeletons watching the scene in a semicircle. They'd all had their heads replaced with the skulls of other animals. A horse, a bull, a bird. There was a bit of snickering, and then we moved on. I knew that a few years before, the farm had tried including real-life people in costumes and makeup along the hayride route to jump out and scare people. Some of them carried chainsaws. But too many parents complained, and they stopped after two years of it. As far as I knew, there was nobody out there anymore, but I'd never confirmed it one way or the other, and it was hard not to wonder. I squinted and watched the fields in the dark section between the scenes, and then, near the horizon, I could have sworn I saw a man walking the opposite direction. Next was an Easter scene, with a big bunny mascot costume that someone had painted, evil slanted eyebrows, red blood around the mouth. There were a bunch of chocolate wrappers and broken painted eggs on the ground around him, with cockroaches scattered like they'd crawled out of them. I remember feeling uncomfortable. I couldn't really explain why. 
but not exactly scared. The letterman couple next to me were making out. I don't think they even saw the display. The boys were yelling jokes and insults at the thing, making each other laugh. Mr. Harris lit up a cigarette and sat there smoking for a minute, not looking back at us. Then he checked his watch and put it back in drive. But when we were about halfway to the next stop, there was a sudden crunching noise, and the tractor shuddered for a second, followed by a kind of whirring grinding in the engine. So Mr. Harris turned the ignition off and climbed down to see what had happened. We were real far from everything then, and with the engine off, it was real quiet. So quiet you felt it in your stomach. Mr. Harris cursed and grumbled something, and then he stood up inside and said, Sorry, folks, minor technical difficulty. I'll be right back. You just stay put. And then he walked off, back towards the sounds and lights of the festival. As I watched him go, it occurred to me that this technical difficulty might have been as staged as any of the props and decor. Maybe there really were people out here waiting to scare us, creeping up on us, waiting for the exact moment when we let our guard down. The letterman guy said, Is he serious? And then he unlatched the gate and stepped off of the trailer. He walked around the front of the tractor, examining it, and then squatted to check beneath. I heard him say, Ah, oh, jeez. And then his girlfriend stood up and said, What is it, babe? And then the kids all ran off, and it was only me and the high school girl left on the trailer. The boys started running around, pushing each other, playing some game only they knew the rules to. Then the girl got off, and it was only me. The guy was under the tractor now. There's a skeleton jammed up in the undercarriage, he said. He said it looked like we ran it over. That got the attention of the boys, and they came running to look. One of them asked if it was real. One of his friends said, Yeah, can't you tell? It's that kid's dad. He looked at me. His words almost didn't even register. They'd come so out of the blue. And then they took off running again, skipping and cackling like they couldn't bear to stand there with that hanging in the air. I went to the front of the trailer. You could see a skeletal foot sticking out from beneath the tractor. I knew that it wasn't actually my father. We'd buried him in Ascension Cemetery. I watched them put the dirt on him. My mom said we didn't have to do that, but I insisted, so they filled it in early for us. But I asked the guy if it was true that the skeleton was real. He looked at me with a sort of queer expression on his face, and then he dusted off the front of his jeans and stood up so that our faces met at an equal height. Is it real? he said. Yes. As a matter of fact, it is. He didn't blink. Of course it is. Old gravestones get knocked down all the time. Farms change hands, records get lost. They find dead bodies in farm fields all the time. I could see the foot. It looked plastic. But how should I know what actual foot bones would look like? And in the dark, 
I couldn't help but believe him. One of the other boys overheard. Wait, it's really real? Then another said, Are they all real? And ran ahead to the next scene, and his friends followed, to a beacon of light maybe a hundred yards down. The high schooler was staring at me and almost smirking a little. He wouldn't stop staring at me even as he yanked the thing out of the tractor, severing some limbs as he did. It was wearing a fishing vest. It scared me, so I hopped off the trailer and followed the boys. They arrived before me and got real quiet when they did. There was an American flag planted like it was on the moon, and then I got closer and I could see that there was a charcoal grill and a campfire ring and a camp chair with something in it. Someone. I got closer and saw the fishing pole standing upright next to the chair. I got closer and saw my dad sitting there with a fishing hat on his head in the suit he was buried in. The undertaker's work had begun to deteriorate. And then there was screaming in the distance, and a great horrific screeching, a tearing of metal, more and more people screaming, real screaming, and then an awful crash, and the ground shuddered. One of the carnival rides had malfunctioned, catastrophically, and tipped over. Thirteen people died. Four were on the ride when it fell, nine were in line, and were crushed. When it fell, my mother was in line at the ticket booth, buying two tickets to ride. She never joined in on the lawsuits, though lawyers reached out daily for weeks to tell her that the other guests who'd been present that evening were suing for emotional damages. She liked the festival too much, or at least she liked Mr. Harris, who had always done right by us. She didn't want to help ruin him now because a couple of drunk carnies couldn't secure a ride properly. All she asked him for, when she called him the next day on the phone, was a refund. <laughs>